Welcome to the Choice Happens Podcast, where you can choose different, do different, and become the person you say you've always wanted to be. Here's your host, Emily Carpenter. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah. So you've got some uh, interesting history, a lot of different things coming into make you who you are today. So I want to hear something, some things about that. And also what your current mission is, which I think is amazing of helping people to travel for less and realize their travel dreams that they never thought were possible. So where would you like to start? Let's start with, uh, where did you come from? <laughs> How did you start? Um, I'm a contractor for the government. Um, and I've done that for the last 20 years. I trained the military in hand-to-hand combat and about two and a half years ago now, they uh, up increased the amount of time that I was going to be traveling and training soldiers in various parts of the country. And um, the way that the contract works is, is they give me a lump sum of money, travels on me. So what I realized is, is that if I could decrease the cost of travel, I could increase the amount of money I take home. Yeah. And it kind of set me on a journey that I'm on today where I, I, I came to the realization that travel doesn't have to be expensive. And there's ways that, that anybody, uh, whether they're a middle-class person or maybe they're an upper-class person, could drive down the cost of travel so that they could actually travel more. Yeah, I love it. Everybody yeah. wants to travel, right? And we all say that. We have a bucket <laughs> list maybe of all the places we want to go. And how many people actually make the effort to do that? Right. Well, and when we look at what we do with our lives, uh, we work to obviously pay our bills. You know, we got to take care of kids. If you got kids, uh, our expenses, but anything that we do extra is to put money away so that we can travel. Mm. Um, anybody who works a second job is usually working a second job to pay off debt so that they can travel, mm. um, go places that they want to, you know, experience whatever it is. Um, sure. you know, the balloon rides in Albuquerque, for example. Um, and, and what I found is, is that people are more motivated by actually achieving their bucket list than they are just about anything else. Right. <laughs> Which is not to say much, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so we all want to travel. So I, it, it just really occurred to me that if I could help people travel more often for less money out of their pocket, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. And I love that you say that, you know, you found a way to save money for yourself and you want to share that with other people. So really when you, for you, cause you're getting paid to travel and you're getting paid for those trips. So out of that, you're able to pocket that extra money and use it for whatever you want to do with it. Which for me, I use it to travel more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I, if I could uh, go completely digital and never have an office and just travel the world with my kids. That's what I would do. Nice. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're headed that way. <laughs> so if you, um, you, you train the military hand-to-hand combat, how did that happen? Like, what is your background that makes that a job? Right. I've never heard of anyone that does that. I didn't know that that was a specialty or a consulting job for the army. Right. So, uh, in a, I served in the army from 1993 to 96. And I was always an avid martial arts fan and was training martial arts um, from a young age. And when I joined the military is when the UFC first came out 
I saw the first uh, UFC two for the first time. And I just looked at the screen and I go, I want to do that. Um, <laughs> my squad leader happened to be a guy who did jujitsu. Uh, he started training me. I got out of the army in 96 and I immediately started fighting professionally. Uh, I had something like 70 pro fights all around the world. Uh, fought three times in Japan, fought in Mexico, fought in Venezuela, fought in Canada, fought in Hawaii, you know, everywhere really. And, um, when I moved back to Fort Campbell, Kentucky in 1999 and then early 2000, uh, some of the military units here had found out that I was a professional fighter and asked me to mm. come down one morning and help them out. And um, the, a guy that was there was talking about certain things don't work in fighting, uh, one of them being a high kick. And so the first three guys I sparred with, I knocked out with a head kick. And uh, <laughs> the boss walked over and said, Hey, can you, it's obvious you can fight, but can you teach? And I was like, yeah, I can teach too. He said, show me. So I took a soldier mm. off to the side, started teaching him. And, uh, he knocked out the guy that said I couldn't do what I did. And then, uh, they gave me a job. Nice. <laughs> that <laughs> so, sounds, that sounds like a great way to get a job. You weren't even looking for that. And it just was everything about you coming together and you get paid for it. Yeah. Right? That's right. It's just doing what you love and you find and somebody says, Hey, I want to pay, give you money for that. Yeah. More of it. And that's kind of been the principle of my life is that uh, I've been an entrepreneur for over 30 years. Um, and everything that I've done, I've done because it was something that I was passionate about and that I love doing. Hmm. And I would have right. done it even if I hadn't been paid to do it. And as I'm kind of, you know, transitioning because I'm getting older, it's kind of hard to, you know, fight 20 year olds as a nearly 50 year old. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of looked across the spectrum of things and, and I, that same kind of guiding philosophy has been what's really immersed me into the travel industry is I looked at what do I love to do besides fighting? And I love to travel. So yeah, it was a natural fit. Right. So you're, you're doing this consulting for fighting and you're, you realize that you, you love to travel. What was like the moment where you realized this is, I love traveling. I want to do more of this and I want to see the world. I mean, it sounds like a lot of what you did already was that with your, your army background and going different places for fighting, you were already traveling, but what was the moment where you realized you wanted to do more of this when it was just for you? Yeah, so it's pretty funny. Everybody who joins the Army right now is guaranteed to go to foreign countries. Uh, <laughs> they, much. Might, they might not like it, but that's where they're going. Uh, mm. And it was really funny because for me, from 1993 to 96, I never went anywhere with the military. I stayed at Fort Campbell the entire three years. I didn't get any deployments outside the continental U.S. Mm. Uh, and in my life, in my personal life, I had actually never been out of the country. Uh, in 1996, when I got out of the military, uh, I volunteered to help a, a village in Guatemala with a radio tower. And so it was a pretty unique story. Uh, I'm not sure that it would necessarily inspire others, but it <laughs> inspired me. Uh, yeah. So it was before internet really is what it is today. And we didn't have cell phones. And so as I was communicating with this village in Guatemala, we had to do it all through telegrams. Um, mm. They didn't have phones and like the nearest phone they had to drive. It was like, you know, five hours and it was crazy. So wow. I, I had sent a telegram 
telling them when I was arriving, when I was going to have to come back to the States. I was there for three weeks. Um, and I landed in Guatemala City and nobody was at the airport to pick me up. Uh, hmm. I waited a couple hours. I knew where my final destination was as far as name. Uh, and I had an address, but, um, you know, I'd never been to Guatemala before. I didn't speak Spanish. I didn't speak Quiche Indian. And so after mm. waiting for three or four hours at the airport and nobody arriving, I decided that um, I was going to find somebody who spoke English and try to find my way down to what was uh, the village Totonicapan. And um, I found an American missionary that let me uh, spend the night with them. So I, I stayed the night. And wow. um, in the process of getting there, I started looking around the city and just kind of trying to be situationally aware. And I noticed that there was a kid on a bike and he had a shotgun. Um, when oh, I, boy. <laughs> yeah, which was, you know, I don't know how old he was because the Guatemalan people are a little bit shorter. So he could have been a little bit older, but my perception was he was probably about 13. Um, wow. When I went to the bank to pull out money to pay for the place to stay, um, that was uh, guarded by a, somebody with a Uzi, an automatic uh, handgun. Um, wow. You know, and, I, and in the back of my head somewhere, I was like, I don't think that this is the way it's supposed to be. You know, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Right. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I woke up early in the morning and uh, hopped on a bus that was going to take me all the way out to Dononicaban. Uh, it was like a six, eight hour bus ride up into the mountains of Guatemala. Uh, I was sitting at like, uh, by the time I was done, where the bus dropped me off, I think I was at 8,000 feet elevation. Um, and uh, so in the, in the process of getting there, I, I come to find out that Guatemala is in the tail end of their revolutionary war um, mm. that they have been fighting for years and years and years. And um, I, I found this out in the most inconvenient way, which was when the rebels boarded the bus that I was on and got everybody off the bus but me. Uh, oh man, but you? <laughs> they left me on the bus and I didn't know if I was going to die that day or if that, because I was an oh. American, uh, I wasn't who they were looking. I had no clue what was happening. I didn't speak any of the native language or Spanish to even ask. Mm. <laughs> and wow. uh, so they went and they, they basically, you know, searched everybody down except for me and loaded everybody back on the bus. And then we went upon our merry way and um, I, I kind of was at this point really confused, like what in the world have I gotten myself into? And, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, that might've been the end of my traveling yeah. experience. Well, <laughs> I was stuck though. There was no way for me to get back. Uh, because yeah. at that point, uh, because I didn't speak the language because I had all these various things taking place. Uh, it was just a very bizarre scenario. Right. Um, mm. So in my in my Western thinking, I, the village of Totonicapan I thought was going to be a a very small village, and it wasn't. It was massive. Uh, wow. It covered lots of square miles across the mountain range. And so when I got there, there was nobody there either. And so I literally walked the city, uh, trying to find somebody that spoke English, which were way out in the middle, you know, nowhere in Guatemala, and. Um, hmm. uh, finally some white people see me and they pull up and they're like, would you happen to be looking for Terry? And I'm like, yeah, I would be. And they're like, why don't you <laughs> hop in? And 
Um, and then I found out <laughs> that, you know, Guatemala was in the middle of this war. <laughs> you know? uh, wow, nobody thought to tell you that on the travel brochure ahead of time. Right. right? Uh, well, and because there was no internet, <laughs> there was no real way for yeah. me to, uh, you know, like I didn't even think back then to go to the State Department sure. site and, you know, yeah, we're so connected now to get any of that information right. so quickly. And, yeah. and it was yeah. such a thrilling experience uh, that I just, I fell in love with travel from that point forward. Wow. And <laughs> it, it has not been the end of my harrowing experiences for sure. <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah. it, and it did, it ignited something in me. And since that time, I've been to 27 countries. Uh, in the last couple of years, I've taken 37 vacations. Um, it's been amazing. Now, did you ever find out why they left you on the bus? I, I never found out why they left me on the bus. Nobody, they, they, everybody I talked to when I, when I got to the village thought it was odd that I got left alone. Uh, yeah. but nobody really knew why. Interesting. Yeah. So wow. Providence, I don't know, maybe, you know, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> so. Wow. Yeah. That's not maybe the the story everyone has about how they fell in love with travel, right? Yeah, I, I'm, that's why I said it might not resonate with a ton of people. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's certainly a fun story. I love hearing it. Yeah, it, it was great time for me, you know. Um, I got to see active volcanoes. Um, I got mm. to learn some of their language and their customs. I spent three weeks in a, in a mud house with a family. Uh, the immersion was was amazing experience for me. So. Yeah, you certainly got to really know what it felt like to live in that area and be a part of a, a culture, a different culture that you wouldn't have had if you did have internet access. You wouldn't have felt any of that that you feel just being completely immersed in that culture. Yeah, and I think it also set the stage for me to avoid travel as a tourist and, and take travel to a new level and make it about a transformation make it about the experience instead of mm. just hitting all the places that all the tourists go. Right. Yeah. So you, you were there for, uh, what were you doing there? Something with, with water, you said. <laughs> uh, no, I, I built a radio tower. So a radio tower. Yeah. So this particular village is out in the middle of nowhere. They had no way to really to communicate out. And so, uh, I built a radio tower for them. So the next guy that got there didn't need a telegram. He could, right? He could just call in by the radio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice. So my second trip to that vi uh, that village was, let's see here, it would have been six or seven years later. And th that by that point, um, I didn't have to rely on telegrams, and uh, you know we could communicate far more effectively. And they knew I when bet. I was arriving. <laughs> so <laughs> nice. Then they, then you had an Uber come pick you up. <laughs> yeah, right. No Uber yet, but uh, I know. Yeah, but that, now you could. <laughs> right. So, what other travel things have you done that got you? You know, so th that you kind of started off with what everybody really should want from travel. Maybe not the guns and you know the bus raid and things like that, but you got complete cultural immersion. You got to know the people. They got to know you. Um, you got to really start to know the language. I mean, I think that's, for me, that would be the most amazing part of travel is getting to experience another culture. Mm -hmm. uh, so what other experiences have you had or how do you recreate that? You know, you had that great feeling. Are you always like trying to get that 
amazing first thing that you had with that from that first trip to Guatemala or is it every trip do you have some experience like that? Yeah, I think because of just who I am, every experience becomes that for me. Mm. Um, you know, I got to go to Thailand and train with Api Day. Uh, this was when I was still professionally fighting. He was the only seven-time uh, uh, seven-time Lumpini Stadium champion. Uh, and I stayed with the Thai fighters at the Thai camp, ate their food, did their training routines. Uh, and again, I got to immerse myself in their culture. Uh, nice. I was there for, again, about three weeks. Uh, and again, I did that in Japan. I did that in Afghanistan. I did that uh, in Iceland. I've done it in Ireland. I did it in Norway. And so what I try to do is for me, I'm looking for, I, I am looking for that. So every time I'm traveling, I'm trying to find a way to immerse myself in their, in their ideology and their concepts mm. of life and their ways of thinking. And, and it's so, it's so interesting to me to hear their perspectives about life, about, you know, America, about our politics, about our economy, um, about our government. And, yeah. um, to be able to share that with people. And it's amazing. No matter where you go, people always want to talk about their country, their stuff, their, their family, their, um, their way of life. And so it becomes a very easy experience to just basically say, tell me about yourself. Tell me about what you do in this country. Um, so when right. I, when I went to Iceland, um, it's a very sparse country. Um, so I got to ride around and ask, so what is it that you do here? Uh, what's the economy based on? Is it, is it fishing? Is it oil? Is it, uh, you know, what, what do you guys do? And uh, Iceland was an absolutely gorgeous experience for me. And I got to do uh, things and learn things about those people that make the trip worth it. And then, and then you, you tie in that you could do it for less and it becomes a win-win. Um, yeah. It was the same in Ireland and it was the same... Uh, and I try to make that a, a, a part of my a part of my journey as I go to these countries. Um, you know, when I went to Africa, I stayed uh, in the Honey Badger Lodge, but I surrounded myself with African people, and I want to hear about them. I don't want to hear. Of, I don't like traveling with other Americans. Uh, I want right. to travel with people that can teach me about their culture and about their ways of life and. You know, when I was in Tanzania, I found out that the average uh, Tanzanian makes less than a thirty American dollars a month, um, mm. and so then you, then you you start to have conversations about so how do you make income? What does life look like for you in this country? Um, what's a good life look for you? Look like for you? Right. Um, is that eighty dollars a month? Is that you know um, how does this play out in your life? Uh, what do you guys do for hobbies? Um, and so it's, it's always been interesting to me in every country I've gone to, how they view the world, how they view politics, how they view religion, how they view um, Americans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, to me, travel has really been about a process of education and, and yeah. really connecting with people with wherever they're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you bring up a good um, point here, too, is that when you're traveling, you're getting a new perspective on not just the culture that you're in, but what it's like back home. 
Right. Right. So you, you see things differently and you know, when you're around all the people, all people that think similarly, cause we're all from a similar uh, location or background. And then you go out to someplace that's completely different. You get a different view of everything. Yes. Yeah. And, and they will say the most surprising things to you. Um, <laughs> it, it's been, so, uh, on my last trip to Ireland, um, Everybody seemed to be hesitant to bring up Trump, but you could tell that most of the Irish people wanted to talk to me about Trump. Um, okay, yeah. And it, it was so funny to me uh, because the Irish have seemed to be very different than, than what the media portrays most Europeans think about Trump. Uh, most of the Irish I talked to loved him. Um, and so interesting. And it was, it was very interesting to me because I, I wanted to steer clear of that conversation because the media tells us Europeans hate him. So I didn't want my trip yeah. to be, a, uh, and I don't even care what anybody thinks. It's, it's not even about that, but I didn't want my trip to be an experience where every time I turned around, everybody wanted to bash Trump or talk about Trump. I didn't want that. Right. But right. it was so interesting that, um, a lot of the working class people in, in Ireland that I met, uh, not that that's indicative of all of Ireland, but the people I met mm -hmm. liked him, uh, which was totally not what I was expecting. Uh, wow. And so it was a very, it was a very enlightening experience for me to, to be stuck in a cab with a cabbie who railed about how much they loved Trump for over an hour. Uh, wow. <laughs> you know, so like, um, uh, and again, when I go into those countries, I try not to bring my opinion into the conversation. I'm really trying yeah. to experience what you believe, what you think, what your perspective is. Because if I wanted my perspective, I would just take a bunch of Americans with me and then we could all talk about what Americans think. But that's for me, that's not what travel's about. So do you primarily travel on your own then? Is that the way you prefer to travel or do you sometimes have companions that you go with? Yeah. So sometimes I have companions. Sometimes I'm going solo. Um, and, you know, there's some places that I, I have purposely not gone to yet because I feel like that that's more of a location for like a married couple in my own perspective. Like I've saved right. Italy because I really would prefer to do that with a wife. Uh, to me, yeah. that just seems like a more romantic kind of couples type of trip. Um, uh, and I feel that way about Ireland. I went back last time solo, um, but Ireland is so magical and so mystical to me that I would prefer to have a partner with me on that trip. Yeah. Norway, not so much. Iceland, not so much. That was more of a rugged outdoor kind of adventure. And so I didn't feel like I... I I needed to have a spouse with me to take those kind of trips. Um, and that's right. just John Rankin. Not everybody's that way. Um, uh, you know, so it just kind of really depends on where I'm going. Yeah, I guess there are certain things like in Italy, I'm thinking of the gondolas and Venice and the, uh, in Verona, there's the, the Juliet balcony, you right. know, things like that. Maybe you'd, you'd right. want to have something with you on that to right. make it more romantic and get the full experience there. Yeah, right. for sure. And uh, here's yeah. another great example. So Kenya's on my list uh, and they have a hotel in Ken Kenya that is open and the actual wildlife is a part of the Kenyan 
experience. And it's funny because they actually have a giraffe breakfast bar where the giraffes bring their necks in and eat, oh. eat the food with you. And nice. I would love to go experience that, but I would not want to experience that without my kids. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I just, so when are you taking them? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a, I've got a, uh, an ex spouse who seems to be really not wanting to come off signing on passports. So that one might take uh, a little bit of time. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, just the wonder of that experience and the way that kids would react to a giraffe coming into their breakfast sitting in right. and eating with them would be so amazing. Um, and so, you know, so there are trips that I purposely avoid because I want to have those experiences with specific people. So, yeah. Um, so sometimes it's a, a solo thing and sometimes it's not. What's your best trip you've taken with your kids? Uh, the best trip I've ever taken with my kids is Mount Rushmore. And it was absolutely breathtaking. And it wasn't even Mount Rushmore that did it. So we did a car trip for this one. So I drove for 21 hours to get them there. Mm. Wow. And then we stayed in the Badlands, which is this massive park. Uh, I don't even know how many miles it is, but... We stayed in it. And when you say them, you're talking about how many kids? Four kids. I don't kids. think we've mentioned. Four kids. Four kids. Yeah. Uh, what were their ages on this trip? On this trip, Samuel, my oldest, who's about to turn 16, would have been 13. So Aiden mm. would have been 10. Elisa would have been nine. Colum would have been seven. Wow. Yeah. So. Okay. Just wanted to set the scene for this. Yeah. Okay, go on. So <laughs> drove 21 hours out there. Um, we stayed in a teepee the first night. And had I known what I know now, we would have stayed in a teepee the entire time. Um, because mm. the, the Badlands, you've got to climb these kind of quasi-mountains that are made out of sandstone. Uh, the entire park still had fossils in it. You're not allowed to take them, but you can find them. Um, the heritage out there, uh, there was just so many things. We got to stop at this pit stop. And we had breakfast on an old abandoned train. Wow. We got to go through a village from 1880. All of the buildings are from the 1880s. They filmed Dances with Wolves there. So they had all this Kevin Costner stuff. Um, they, Fun. Oh, it was so amazing. And not knowing, um, we ordered this breakfast at this amazing restaurant uh, the following day. The, I'm not kidding, not even slightly exaggerating. The pancakes were the size of two dinner plates. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't know, realize it, so I ordered everybody pancakes and eggs. Um, and, oh, wow. And we had so much food that we, like, literally, I could have fed three kids on one plate. Um, <laughs> it was an amazing experience, uh, followed by Mount Rushmore. Then we went to, I'm forgetting the name of the Indian version of Mount Rushmore. Uh, but they have an Indian um, uh, stone uh, statue out there or, or rock face, you know, mm. um, sculpture or whatever they would call it. Um, man, it was just so amazing. My kids still, this has been five years now. My kids still talk about that trip. Um, they, wow. they uh, or four years, they still bring that up as one of the best trips. And I think, I think a close second would be Niagara Falls. Um, got to take my kids out there and, and to do that. And there's just so much to do in America um, that is pretty incredible. 
Yeah. So on a 21 hour drive, I'm guessing you took a few stops and enjoyed the journey a little bit and weren't just getting one place and being there. You probably did a few things along the way. Well, so what I do is when I'm traveling with my kids, I leave at night uh, and I drive through the night and then catch a nap Mm. in the morning and then finish out the drive. So we drove to get there and we got there. We left. mm, I want to say we left like four p.m. and uh, maybe a little bit earlier and then we got there uh, late that next day and we did a couple Mm. of things and then you know I had had a short nap in the middle of the night and then I finished out the drive and then um, we did some of those stops where we stopped in the village the 1880s village as soon as we got there that was like 8 a.m. the next morning so we spent about two or three hours there um, and then we did a couple more stops in between there. We stopped at the Badlands and then we, we stopped there and then I got a good night's sleep and then we carried on to the next location and all in all, the whole thing I think was seven or eight days. Nice. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful. Um, so our next one like that, we want to go to either Yellowstone or Glacier Falls National Park. Sounds beautiful. Yes. Those are. <laughs> so weather's a little bit more difficult and a little more challenging for those two, though. So you have to be careful. I forget what part of the country you're in. I'm in Tennessee. Tennessee. So you're, I don't know, geography. You're the middle of the country? Yeah, of? mid-south of the yeah. country. So okay. um, right. we're I right, right. <laughs> Illinois uh, and right above Arkansas and Texas. Okay. Yeah. So you can kind of go one way or the other and have a great experience. Yeah. So the, one of the things I love about Tennessee is, is that um, I'm four hours from like 10 major cities. Um, Atlanta's five hours. Hmm. Memphis is three hours. St. Louis is four hours. Chicago's about seven hours. Indianapolis is five hours. Cincinnati is four hours. So there's all this stuff that I can do within a half day drive at a minimum. You know, that's uh, a great location. It really is for Uh, for being able to see a lot of stuff. And when you said Niagara Falls, I'm probably an hour drive from Niagara Falls. Yes. So I've been there. I've been there many, many times. Right. So Niagara Falls for us was just 10 hours in a car, 11 hours with the time change. Just 10 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You know, yeah. When you you travel all the way across the world, 10 hours isn't really that bad. Right. (laughs) I can imagine. I've had plane rides that were 24 hours in the plane. So. Oh, wow. Did you like circle the globe and come back or something? I don't even know. Where where would you go in so, one flight yeah, 24 hours yeah, long? Yeah. So from Nashville, we did a layover in uh, Detroit. And then it was a straight flight from Detroit to Japan. Then I had another layover in Japan, finished out in Bangkok, Thailand. And that was 24 wow. hours fly time. I had two hours of layovers. Wow. Yeah. So it was a, a long time on a plane. It was a long time on a plane. Yeah. <laughs> so, Better than driving it, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not even sure what that would yeah. look like. Oh my God. Maybe <laughs> <So, laughs> a little difficult to drive through the ocean too. Well, so, you know, so um, they've got, I read this, um, they are right now constructing a, uh, a highway that literally circles the world. And so from Alaska, they're building a highway to go into Russia, and then they're building a second one that's going to connect the rest of the world. That's crazy. Is it like a, like, how do they, is it underwater? Is it a bridge? How is that even? Some of it's underwater. Some of it's a bridge. Um, 
I have to. I mean, I've been on the bridge on Lake Pontchartrain, which is like one of the longest bridges in the world. It's like 23 miles or something to get across it. But that's that's nothing compared to what it would take to go across the ocean. I can't imagine. So I'm not sure how far the Alaskan uh, from Alaska to Russia is, or to whatever that portion of the country would be. Um, Yeah. But I was reading about it. I'll have to go back and find that article. I'll send it to you. But uh, yeah, that they're doing that to where you could like literally circle the globe. They'll include a link in the show notes. Yeah. So people can see what we're talking about. And yeah. Incredible what we're doing with technology. So speaking of that, that's a good segue because technology has really made it possible to find deals on travel yeah. and see what's available and what's out there. Whereas before, I don't even, do we have to call the airlines? I don't even, I wasn't traveling, but way back then and the, yeah, so the age of calling for reservations, I wasn't doing much travel, but I remember having to even go to the train station to get a ticket to go somewhere. You know, right. what, how, did, how do we even travel before? And yeah. you just have to take whatever they had, right? There was no waiting for the perfect time to book or right. anything. It was pretty crazy. So um, you would have to buy the ticket on the airline's website or through a travel agent. Uh, yeah. I wasn't traveling before the advent of uh, the World Wide Web. Um, but typically it was through directly on the phone. Uh, I remember mm-hmm. being younger and having to do a ticket and I did it via telephone. So you would right. call and you would do it that way. Um, and so the advent of technology has made it to where anybody can travel for whatever budget they have to wherever they want to go. And if they get good at it, they can do it in a matter of minutes. Wow. Yeah. And it didn't used to be that way. The Department of Labor has actually shown that um, the old way of travel, travel agents and calling airlines and all that kind of stuff, uh, is going to be pretty much non-existent probably by 2025. Wow. Yeah, it's hard to find. I've tried looking for a travel agent that can help me with different things. And really, they, they don't really, it's almost like they don't want to help you unless you're booking something like a cruise or something where it's like a whole package. Right. If you want to just do a piece of something, like you want to get a flight or find a hotel or yeah. figure out the route to go somewhere. It's almost impossible to find somebody that's willing to just look at that with you and help you to plan that. Well, there's no margin in it for them. Right. So when you talk about booking an airline ticket, the airline is such a controlling industry hmm. that there's no margin in it for them. Um, right. I mean, they make peanuts on airfare. Um, so, uh, part of the problem is, is that because airlines do things the way they do, what do you need a travel agent for? Expedia does it right. And the vast majority of the travel agents would actually probably use Expedia. So what ends up happening then is, is that there's no incentive for them to really help you with air. So why did they go into that profession in the first place? I keep wondering that. Why are, well, because, why are they travel agents if they don't want to help you travel? Well, again, they probably want to help you travel, but they, you know, the vast majority of people still have to, you know, make a living and feed their kids and et cetera. So if there's no incentive for them to do airlines, but there is on right. the cruise market, the Disney, like I have friends that are in that are travel agents and they can really significantly cut the cost of a Disney trip for 
um, somebody who wants to go to Disney, for example. Yeah, there's people that that's all they do is Disney, right? I mean, that's right. a whole industry yeah. in of, in of itself. Yeah. And what you're seeing is, is through the advent of this technological maze that we have, um, now we have travel agents that specialize in Ireland, in Egypt, in Rome, in uh, Antigua, in Barbados. Um, and, right. what, and what they've done is, is they've niched themselves inside of an 11 trillion dollar industry mm-hmm. so yeah there's um, money to be made there I'm oh sure. my god there's so much money <laughs> to be made um you, you know and just for scale so it's an 11 trillion dollar industry and expedia netted 88 billion last year 88 wow. billion <laughs> like those numbers are like when people ask me well, you you want to get rich off this and i'm like i don't want to get rich just give me 0.000001% <laughs> of what the yeah. travel industry makes. And I would be, I would be tickled pink. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Following that path again, where you're doing something you love and it can make you money somehow. Right. Yes, I mean, absolutely. Save, save money or make money, which is pretty much the same thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, you've got to, you've got to be able to, so in sales, I've got to be able to combine a natural passion and desire to help people with monetizing it. If I have right. one piece, the monetizing, everybody feels like you're, they're being sold. You don't care about them. You just care about yeah. money. But on the other hand, if I have the money portion, but I don't have passion, then it literally sucks the life out of me. Right. Sure. So I make great yeah. money, but I work 90 hours a week and never get to see my kids play baseball. What? Yeah. So you know, trying to find, yeah. So what's the point of living life that way? And, you know, I, I've just come to a place where I want to find a happy medium where I could really be truly passionate about what I do and help people do it while making a decent income. And, um, you know, and I'm, I'm upfront with everybody about that. Hey, look, you know, uh, I've got affiliates. I've got ways that I'm, I'm monetizing this. It's not going to affect your dollar or your bottom line. But I just do that for the sake of transparency so that they know. And if you can find a better deal than I, I do, man, go do it. Right. Like it's not going to bother me at all because it's such a large bond. There's so many people that I see that like sort of demonize making money, right? It's, you know, if you're doing something yeah. that you love and it makes you money, then do you really love it? And why are you doing it? What is your real motivation? And the thing is, we all need to make a living. And if you can find a way to do it, why I, I want to help that person that's found a way and, right. and give them, if there's an affiliate link or some way that I can make them money because they've given me a valuable piece of information that essentially does not cost me any more than right. it actually is saving me money and saving me a lot of time figuring this stuff out. I'm, I'd be glad to have someone <laughs> right. get a commission for so- that. Americans are a weird breed of people. Like, we know we are going to be sold. We know it. But for some reason, we hate it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it's funny, too, because, like, we have the Super Bowl coming up this weekend, for example. And we all know, and we laugh, and we make funny jokes about the commercials that are going to come out on the Super Bowl for the express purpose of selling us to buy something. But we Mm. love it. Right. (laughs) But if I told you I was going to try to sell you something, 
you know, there's some reason that now all of a sudden you've become the bad guy or the bad girl, you know, it's a, it's a very yeah. weird kind of, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a very weird thing. Um, That's a strange dynamic for it sure. It is. It's yeah. Like, you know, and I, yeah. I, I, I'm not smart enough in psychology to understand that, that paradox, but it exists. Right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so I could tell that you're, this is something you're passionate about. You really do want to help people. Um, I, I, we haven't mentioned yet your history or your background in ministry mm -hmm. and how that's come. You've even brought that into this travel aspect and helping other people. Sure. So if you want to talk a little bit about that and yeah, so how, how you've done that, um, you know, that missions trip, um, to Guatemala was to help a Christian, uh, a Christian community build a radio tower so that they could communicate with the outside world. Hmm. And what I've done is, so I was in ministry for 15 years. Uh, I went through a divorce. Uh, before the divorce started, I, I decided that I didn't want to take the church through it, resigned the church. Um, and my heart is still for helping people and so what sure. I've done is just found ways to apply what I do in a way that helps ministries. And one of the ways I'm doing that is I help a group of ministry people. Uh, their, their name is Free International. And what they do is rescue girls that have been sex trafficked. Um, it's in a horrible industry. Uh, they kidnap girls from various countries and export and import them. Interestingly enough, uh, this weekend uh, in Atlanta, which is one of the hubs of sex trafficking in our mm. nation, uh, all kinds of sexual predators and deviants will descend upon Atlanta and sell girls to rich and powerful people for disgusting things. And uh, Free International is one of the organizations that goes into things like the Super Bowl and they set up watch stands and they're looking for miss missing girls that have been either kidnapped or forced into the sex slave trade industry. I couldn't <laughs> believe it when you told me that. You were saying the biggest thing and, you know, the biggest sex trafficking event of the year is the Super Bowl. Is the How Super is Bowl. It? Why is that? What is it that so, makes it that way? Yeah, so just as to, once again, kind of bring scale to this, the average cost for two people to go to the Super Bowl is over $5,000, hmm. the average. That's not the box seating. That's not the high profile seats. That's not, yeah. you know what I mean? So there's mm -hmm. so much money and wealth and affluence that is being flown in. And this is, by the way, John Rankin didn't say this. The attorney general of the United States of America said this. Mm. Um, so, and I can provide that letter if anybody's curious. Um, so what happens is, uh, unfortunately, sex is a commodity. Um, and they, they basically fly these girls, these prostitutes, these, you know, I mean, I mean, just think about it and I don't want to get, cause it's a, it's a very emotional topic, not only for me, yeah, but sure, for a bunch for of people. A lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. But what imagine. 13 year old girl chose to be a sex object of some 50 year old man? Mm. No, no girl did that. No, no girl woke up this morning and decided nobody chooses that life on right. purpose <laughs> yeah nobody chooses that they were yeah, forced right. into that they were they were either they, maybe they ran away from home maybe they were kidnapped uh maybe their parents were disgusting parents and and forced that lifestyle on them 
Um, and it's a, it's a really tragic story. And the problem is, is that these girls are making their pimps or their, you know, their managers, their whatever, uh, you know, uh, those guys are making like 150 grand a week. And so there's a life cycle that takes place in the life of those that are trafficking. And um, when they're done with them, they're done with them, right? And it's not a safe and it's obviously, it's not a safe environment. And so what Free International does is comes in and finds these girls and rescues them. Well, wow. to get that girl out of that state, out of that city to another place where she can start over and be safe and get the, the, the mental, physical, and emotional rehabilitation that she needs, um, that takes money. And yeah. so uh, they call me when they've got girls that have been threatened by their pimps uh, to get them out of the city. And if they're finding those tickets for 500 and I can get them for 250 instead of flying five girls out on the budget they have, we could fly 10 girls out, right? Right, um, yeah, you're... You're increasing their increasing. ability to, to, to serve people and help right. them. And, you know, and what's crazy to me about the sex industry is, is that you've got these girls that have been kidnapped, they've been forced into prostitution, and they're the ones getting felony offenses. <laughs> and then when they get mm. rescued, you have that entire now plethora of legal problems that we right. have to address to be able to even get them back to a place where they could be a beneficial part of our society. Um, mm. it's, it, it's, it's absolutely egregious. Um, right. my, my heart breaks. I, I didn't even know sex trafficking existed until 2009 when I saw the movie Taken. It was insanity mm. to me. I was like, people yeah. do what? Right. Like, I have a daughter. Let me tell you. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Um, like I have a special set of skills and I'll hunt you down. You, know? yeah, like, you, you do. You're not just, you know, saying that. And, right. So, right. And, yeah. and it was really bizarre to me to watch that movie as an action movie. I just thought it was an action. movie. I right. had no clue that industry existed. And I did not know that that industry makes more than all of the NFL, the NBA. It makes more money than all of those guys put together. Wow. So it's definitely a problem. It's definitely a passion of mine. I would like to see a lot more women rescued, a lot more girls rescued. Um, but the truth is, is that, that most people don't even want to acknowledge that's a problem because there's a lot of uh, emotional, you know, everybody's a father at some point. Everybody's yeah. a mother at some point. Uh, and if you're not a mother, then you had a mother, right? So exactly. it, it really strikes deep with people when they realize it's real, they can't put their head in the sand anymore. And a lot of people just don't know or don't want to know. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and man, the, some of the stories that I've heard are just heartbreaking. I can't even believe it. You know, so, and the fact that you've taken <sighs> something that you're passionate about travel and the ministry background that you have and wanting to help other people in whatever way you can, and then taking that, you know, so people maybe want to give something or like help out in some way. And they say, but I don't have the money or I can't do this or I can't do that. Or I don't have the time or whatever it is, but there's always a way to use something you're passionate about and that you're good at and put it to the good. It doesn't yeah. have to be like a donating a dollar. Amount. You essentially are giving the money, but you're doing it in a way that's saving them so they can help more people. Right. So, well, and I would say, I just believe this, this is just, you know, my personal thing. 
but I think everybody on the planet was uniquely created and given a specific set of skills and talents and, and passions. And I think they all could monetize it and they could all serve the community to make the community better. Absolutely. Yeah. I think if we were all living just our being ourselves, instead of trying to put ourselves into this picture of what we think we should be or what yeah. we think other people want us to be and just be our true hundred percent authentic self that yeah. the world would be this amazing place because we'd always just want to help the next person in the way that we can best do that. Yeah. And if it's not something that we can do, then we know someone else who can do it because they're also being their best person. Yeah. I, so, I, I, I totally agree. And you know, again, it's, it's difficult. Mark Twain said it the best. He said that travel is the cure to bigotry, racism, and hatred. Huh, um, yeah. You know, um, so when I went to Tanzania for three weeks, it would have been very hard for me if I was a racist to be in Tanzania for three weeks. Cause I was like one of the only white guy for, you know, miles. Um, yeah. if, if I have a problem with, uh, you know, um, you know, Hispanics it would have been very difficult to go and help, uh, the people in Guatemala. And so w what happens is, is travel really forces you to peel back your prejudices, uh, to, to pull back your own bias and your own opinions. And you, you really connect with people on a different level. And, mm -hmm. you know, it frees us to, to really be us. Um, yeah. And so um, I think that if we could wrap all that into a package and set people free to be themselves so that they could travel the world and see it through new eyes, I think we'd have a much better world. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we get too far into our day-to-day -day and just the immediate surroundings and forget there's a whole world out there and different experiences that we can have to make every day better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it's a weird thing, you know? So when, when we were growing up, we were encouraged to dream big and to think big. And somewhere like when we hit puberty, 16, 17 years old, all of a sudden it's like time to grow up, get a job and kill your dreams. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and it kind of, oh, that's all over. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, go to work. <laughs> right. It's time to go to work, be productive. And I wonder what our lives would look like if, if we stopped listening to that and started listening more to our, our heart and our dreams and what mm. we've always thought we could have done. Um, and travel is part of that. And like when you talk to people about what their dreams are, um, uh, the part of, of them that wants to travel was oftentimes killed when they were a kid. They were told, stop dreaming. That's not possible. Right. But it is possible. Yeah. I've caught myself a couple of times telling my son something, he's eight, telling him something wasn't possible for whatever reason. Like, oh, you can't do that. And I have to stop myself because how do I know? Mm -hmm. You know, and I realized that I'm like that first voice that he's going to hear saying that I don't want to be that voice. I want to be the one that says, make your own path and go where you want to go and be who you want to be. There's yeah. not any limits to that. There doesn't, the only limits that we have are in our minds. Yep. So. And our, our educational that, that system shift. has really become a prison for us. Uh, yeah. And I, we talked about this uh, in the pre-call, you know, yeah. we're taught you go to school to get good grades so that you can go to a good college and right. get a good job, work for somebody else's wealth for 40 years, retire so then you can travel the world. And then by then you're tired. <laughs> you don't, you don't <laughs> want to go anywhere but take a nap on the couch, right? <laughs> right. Well, not only yeah. are you tired, but 
we're we're rapidly finding out that the the American dream of our parents and grandparents is not the reality for no. our generation and below. Um, no, companies don't have the loyalty that they once did, where you could mm-hmm. work at one place for forty years, you got a great retirement package, and you were done by the time you were sixty. That's not the the reality that no, you and I not. live in, or my children, or your children. So right. Yeah, so we have to find ways to figure those things out ourselves and waiting until retirement and when you're, you know, everything, your work is done and then go travel, just that never made too much sense to me. And taking those times as we're going along instead makes way more sense because you're actually, you get, you know, you can look back on your life and reflect and then continue to make those experiences instead of looking back with regret and yep. wishing you had done things. Yep. That's exactly right. And, you know, but again, we've been told that it's too expensive. So we think we have to wait until we're old and we've consolidated and downgraded our house and all this stuff. So how do we do it for cheaper? What is yeah. the, what is the secret sauce that you've, that you've found to help people, the traveler, for the, for you and your own experience. I mean, right. I think you mentioned earlier to me that you saved over maybe ten or fifteen thousand dollars. Is that right yeah. in your travel? So that you that was extra money in your pocket then, yep. because you're getting an allowance for travel for the job that you're doing. And if you can save money, you're making money. Right. Essentially. So the the three biggest things for people to save money, and when I say save money, I'm saying if I could save you over $1,000 on one vacation, um, that's significant. Um, And if you have a larger family, that can make the difference between actually going or not going, right? (laughs) So the first secret, the first secret sauce, so to speak, is is that I no longer travel during peak season um, Mm. unless I'm forced to. Um, So, and I use this as as an example, if you wanted to go to Cancun, how many people want to go to Cancun? Probably quite a few. Um, probably everybody. Probably everybody. Anywhere yeah. that's, well, with the tundra out my window right now, I'd say yeah. anywhere warm would be nice. Right. So yeah. it, the most expensive time of the year to go to Cancun is from June to August. Um, you're going to pay the most amount of money that is possible to go to the beach. And what are you going to get at the beach in the middle of June, July, and August? versus let's say if you went in January or December. Um, I'll tell you what the difference is. The difference would be from about 100 to 110 degrees to 80 to 90 degrees. I'd take the 80 to 90, please. Yeah, right. And yeah. Uh, and I'll give you a prime example. Um, to fly from, you know, whatever the location is, to Cancun during peak season is between four and $600 mm-hmm. per, t- per ticket. If you fly in January, those tickets are normally $200. Wow. So it's about half. About half. The resorts, because it's non-peak season, are going to have less people in them, which means that they're going to do what to the price of the room to get more people there? Yeah, be cheaper. They're going to be cheaper, right? So the law of supply and demand tells us this. If we travel when demand is high, that means the price will be high. If we travel when the demand is low, that means the price will be low. Now, so what we want to do is um, 
we want to travel during non-peak season, okay? And yeah. that is going to be roughly the period of time from January till the end of April, and then from the beginning of September until Thanksgiving. We don't want to travel during the holidays, if we can yeah. help it. Um, now, the second one that I use the most is I actually reverse plan my vacations. Uh, and what I mean by that is the average American is going to be told from their job or they're going to request time off from their job uh, for the last week of June and the first week of July, right? Yeah. Uh, or your company is going to tell you, hey, you've got this block of time to take vacation. And then I'm going to sit down with my significant other, or I'm going to sit down with my spouse, and we're going to discuss where we want to go on vacation next year, right? right. And we're going to come up with a location, whatever <laughs> that location is. And then we're going to set a budget for that location. That is the worst way in the world to plan your travel. <laughs> Absolute worst way. The yeah. better way is, is that you actually set your budget, whatever that budget is going to be. If it's 500, if it's 1500, if it's $30,000, it doesn't matter. I want to yeah. set my budget first. I want to pick several locations, not mm. one location. So if I was married, I would sit down with my wife. I would say, hey, babe, where you want to go next year? Let's pick up a couple of different locations. So we pick Italy, we pick Greece, we pick uh, Cancun, and then we pick, uh, let's say, South America, Belize. Let's do Belize. Yeah. And then what I'm going to do is instead of picking the location, I'm going to let the price of the location pick me, right? Hmm. Those are all yeah. great places to go. Would anybody sure. complain if I took you to Italy? I, th I think not, any of those trips would just be fine. <laughs> right. Any You're one of have those a good trips, time. right? Yeah. So the difference would be is if you plan that vacation the way that I just outlined it, you could probably do that vacation for two people for under 2000 maybe 2500 bucks. If you yeah. plan those the way that I said most Americans plan them, we're now in the five to $7,000 range. Wow. A great example, again, is if I picked Italy and I pick Italy during peak season, those flights are going to be about $1,000 to $1,800. Well, yeah. just the other day, I was telling you, there's tickets to Rome right now for two twelve. Wow. From New York. Now, from New York, yeah. So the bigger, it's, it does help to live near a major airport. Mm -hmm. the, but there's techniques that you can use to still take advantage of those prices at the bigger airports. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, so my second one is, is to reverse the way that you actually plan your vacations. Okay. So the first one's travel during non-peak time. The second yeah. one is, is reverse the way that you plan your vacations. And then the third way is, is that there's, there's ways out there for you guys to actually set up a travel account where it operates much like a savings account. And then it just automatically is giving you a return so that you can actually take time to go travel. And then you just select one of the, one of the places you want to go. So what do you mean by a travel account? What, tell me about that. Yeah. So that um, there's, there's companies out there that incentivize you to, to basically have a membership with them. They're going to take a, uh, a portion of your money. They automatically put it into a travel account for you so that you can take in a vacation at the end of the year for what you've put in. Is this and, like a bank account? Like a, no, it's like, like a membership. It's like Sam's club. Oh, okay. You know? um, oh, okay. I gotcha. Yeah. And there's other ways too. So just as an example, 
let's say that you don't want a membership, that's cool because you can actually take your credit cards and turn your credit cards into things that will allow you to travel for free. Um, mm. We call these the, the credit card hacks. Um, and there are credit cards that are specifically designed for the travel industry. Well, right. the loophole is, is that I could put all my monthly expenses on that card, pay that card at the end of the month and get somewhere from two to five points or reward dollars for every dollar I put on that card. So by the wow. end of the year, you're getting three to six airfare tickets international for no additional money. They're free. Where's the, like, the, so I've heard of these cards. I've actually been researching it myself. I've been looking for cards that don't have foreign exchange rates and yeah. that maybe um, also, cause that's, you know, I, some have like 3% or maybe more when you, mm -hmm. when you purchase something out of the country, you're paying sure. extra for that. Um, but there are cards that remove that, that barrier, yep. that fee. And then there's also cards that help you, like they, there's for specific airlines or some yep. of them are for multiple airlines and, yep. but then you're dealing with, um, blackout dates sometimes with that. So it's very confusing when I'm trying to look sure. at this to decide what's really a good deal and what's just. Yeah. You know, so, giving this company more money than they need. <laughs> I, I'll let you take three guesses. When do you think those blackout days are? Oh, during peak season. Yeah, and during peak holidays, season. Holidays, right? Right? Yeah. So. Yeah. When we're not going to travel anyway because right. we're saving money. Right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. um, there are blackout days when you do that. But if I told you that I could show you how to take a credit card and you put all your monthly expenses on it. Now, listen, this takes discipline. So you've got to do the right thing with your card. You got to pay yeah. it off every month. Don't let that thing accrue interest because then right. you're defeating the purpose of saving <laughs> yeah, money then to you're, travel. You're right? making it worse. Yeah. Right. Then you may never travel. <laughs> but so if I were to tell you that I could show you how to take a credit card, put all your monthly expenses on it. And if you do what I told you to do by the end of the year, you would have three to six international flights at no money out of pocket. Wow. So, sound like a pretty good deal to you? Yeah, it does. I mean, that's right. something that, that's exactly what I've been looking for. I just can't sift through the deals to I'll, find out I'll what tell you is which the right one. Do. So it's <laughs> right. Amex Plus, Platinum, the Chase, Sapphire Preferred are the top two cards you should get for this. Okay. So uh, tons of research out there and don't get them yet. Wait until they get past tax season because then to drive up their, their uh, enrollments into their programs, they'll offer you more points to sign up now. I think right now they're doing about 40,000 points, which is one to two airline tickets potentially, depending on where yeah. you're going. Um, right. But if you wait, uh, I've seen them as high as I think 110,000 points. Wow. Yep. So that's after tax season. So after April 15th, yeah. then yeah, they'll then, start giving the deals. Yep. Yep. And uh, there's plenty of resources out there. Uh, guys who do this for like almost a living. These guys are like experts at manipulating the cra uh, travel credit card industry. Um, I have a friend of mine who's not paid for an airplane ticket in years. Wow. <laughs> so now here's then, a question I've always wondered. So if sure. you're using your points, right? Like if you book a flight and you've used points, you don't get, you don't get more points on that, right? I don't or, believe so. Uh, okay. So you're like, use them up and that, yeah, right. okay. So you're not like, but, you traveled, you bought a ticket somehow. Yeah. And that's yeah. a common misnomer anyway. So the airline yeah. and the hotel industry have fooled us into thinking that they actually reward us for our loyalty. 
And the truth yeah. is, is that they don't. Because to get yeah. a one-way ticket in the United States domestic takes about 20,000, 30,000 points. Do you know how yeah. many times you have to fly to get one free airline ticket? Right. It's, in, it's incredulous, right? Yeah. Like it's crazy yeah. to me. However, if you're using your credit cards, that's a different story. Those points matter more than the airline industry points. Okay. That's a, that's, that's good to know. Yeah. Cause yeah. yeah, if you're just trying to fly, unless you're doing this for your job and you're like really a true frequent flyer where right. you're on a plane every week, then, yep. I mean, I had a friend that, um, he would travel, I think 48 or 50 weeks of the year. And so sure. they would take these great trips all over the everywhere and never paid for flights right. Never right, right, paid right. For a flight because he just had this all accrued from yeah. all the work travel he did. Yeah. So he's in a different class and he's got an advantage. Then it is profitable. Then it does make right. a difference. But I yeah. always tell people I'm not loyal to any airline. I'm going to take whichever ticket gets me there in the manner that I want to get there for the least amount of money. And I don't care about points. And I actually do the discounted tickets that don't allow you to do check on baggage and don't allow you to do points. And I pick them on purpose. Yeah. Yep. Cause I only do a carry on now. It's a backpack. I can fit 10 days worth of clothes in it. Oh, you're I, a guy. You can get away with that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I know girls who get away with it too. So yeah. uh, I have a friend that he'll, he'll, he'll come to back home to visit and he brings his daughter and he has a backpack and that's all he has for the two of them. Sure. And he'll just keep washing the same outfit and like he'll bring pajamas for her and a couple, maybe a couple of outfits and yep. that's it. He just carries everything in a backpack and they don't have to bring anything else. I don't, yep. I don't know. I don't know if I well, can. And even, even so like, let's say like in the case of the ladies, you know, you pack quite a bit more, you don't know what shoes you want, whatever the story <laughs> is. Um, yeah it's actually cheaper for you to get a ticket that doesn't include baggage and then to pay for the baggage. Like I'm talking two and $300 mm. difference. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they're going to charge you at the airport. Let's say it's a hundred dollars. I don't know. Like you've got two bags. They charge you a hundred dollars. Well, is to save $150 worth to pay in for your baggage at the airport for a hundred dollars. Right. Every day and twice on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, it's right. So it really is important that you that you look at the airline industry and you compare the discounted fares to the regular fares, because I, I did this with a friend of mine. He's going to Japan in four weeks. When he looked at the tickets, it was eighteen hundred dollars. I got him the tickets on his own on Delta's website for a thousand dollars. And then when we were done, all he did was buy his baggage. So it costed him, uh, I think it was an, it would have costed him an extra $200 the way we did it. So he still made out $400 less. And you really have to look at things in all different ways. So, yeah. you know, one trip, one app might be the, the thing, and then it might be a different app or a different website for a different trip. So maybe there's, you have to really look at every angle, I think. Is that right? Well, so what we want to do is we don't want to do that because what happens is travelers frrustration sets in. Like I've been to yeah, 50,000 different websites that. and I I'm not going $5. anywhere now. <laughs> yeah. Screw it. <laughs> you know? yeah. So we actually don't want to do that. And what I recommend to people to do, and if you look at all the booking engines available, if you stick with one booking engine, uh, you'll probably over the long haul 
save yourself a lot of time and frustration. Uh, do you have a favorite? Do you have I, I do. a couple of favorites? <laughs> so I, 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 so I have three favorites, and I'll I'll give them in reverse order, and then tell you why. Okay. Sky Scanner is my third favorite for its functionality. Um, okay. And it also allows me to look at European discount carriers. Um, so that's a big bonus to me. Um, right. My second favorite is Jet Radar. And I like Jet Radar because it has all of these young startup companies on it that maybe aren't as well established as the ones that Skyscanner uses. So they don't mark their ticket prices up and they do tons of crazy deals because they're trying to secure your business from Expedia, Priceline, Orbitz or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Now those two are typically in the range. Uh, Jet Radar, I'm averaging 20% less than Expedia. Expedia, uh, Skyscanner just kind of depends on where I'm going. Um, Now, the thing with Jet Radar is it doesn't do rental cars, which is why I like Skyscanner. I can do Mm -hmm. hotels and rental cars on Skyscanner. Everything in one place, yeah. Now, my favorite booking engine, which beats all of them, but I have to pay for a monthly membership fee, but on average, I'm beating Expedia by 30 to 40%. It allows me to do activities. It allows me to do hotels. It gives me hotel credits I get to use every month, but I have to pay for it. But it's wow. worth it for me because I travel enough. And it's Are we it. talking like, you know, 20 bucks a month or a hundred bucks a month or what so is the... It depends. Uh, you yeah. can get it for as low as 50 bucks a month. Okay. So if you actually travel enough, it's worth the investment of 50 bucks a month. Sure. Uh, I do the upgraded one. I, 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 I don't even pay anymore because I've just worked that deal out with them and everybody can. But uh, the upgraded one's $100 a month. And the reason why I pay the $100 is because I get $100 back every month in hotel credits that I can use at hotels to drive the prices down of hotels. Now, if you don't travel, that might not be worth it to you. Yeah. Right? But I travel enough. It's worth every day. So what is this site called? Can you share the name of it or is it a secret? It's not a secret, but, uh, (laughs) uh, and I can share it. I, I don't have a... Uh, I just prefer people actually reach out to me. How's that? So go to my website and reach out to me and then I'll give you the secret, secret sauce. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Got to give them some reason to call you, right? Yeah, right. (laughs) Because if they go and they research it without me and, you know, uh, like I said, I've got to make some money somehow, right? So, and there's a way to do that. And, you know, and that's the great thing about travelers is that it's so big. Like you, like right now, you with your following, you could incentivize travel and you could end up making whatever it makes based on your following. So, and travel's a cutthroat industry. They sign a contract with you in a heartbeat. Right. So, yeah. Nice. Yep. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll be the travel queen. Hey. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm I mean, certainly getting the bug for it. You know, I've really had the bug for just getting out and doing more travel and giving my son more experiences within that area of life. It's so important. Like I, I'm telling you, if I would, I would pay for your trip. If you took your children on a trip and your children didn't change because of that experience. <laughs> exactly. That's how, that's how much I believe in it. I, I'm, yeah. I've watched it transform my kids' lives from where they go from asking for gifts on Christmas to dad wins our next trip. Um, nice. It's been amazing. So I, I, I'm here to tell you if you take trips with your kids, it will pay dividends that you never knew were possible. 
Yeah. That's awesome. So do you have any other um, tips for us of, um, you know, other ways we can, you know, make sure that we can have these trips or how, maybe sure. like how, how do we make that shift in our mindset from this is just something I'm going to do someday when I retire to right. this is something I can do right now and I've got to make it a priority and find a way to make it happen. Yeah. So there's a couple of ways to do this and I'll, I'll use my favorite my favorite example. So I wanted an all expense paid uh, trip to Ireland for two people. They paid for airfare, they paid for food, they paid for rental car. I mean, literally the only thing I paid out of pocket was gas. Um, and I mean, it was a gorgeous trip, gorgeous. Uh, so what I tell people is I ask them, why aren't you traveling? And the two most common responses I get are, I don't travel because I don't have the money or I don't have time. Yeah. Okay. Well, the problem with that is that the truth is, is that money is really the only excuse. Uh, because if I called you and let's say, uh, oh, I wouldn't call you because you're, you're in a relationship, but let's say you weren't, I called you and I said, Hey, Emily, I just wanted an all expense paid trip. Uh, the only catch is we have to leave on Monday. We're going to Ireland for two weeks. Yeah. Can you go? Uh, I'd probably find a way <laughs> if it was me. You would find a way. Yeah, you'd right. find a you way. You'd find right? a way. Yeah. Because truly, the only reason you don't travel is money. Time is not really an excuse. The yeah. only reason you don't have time is because you're working all the time to make money to go travel. Right. Right? So if I could fix the money issue, I could fix the travel and the time issue. All right. Yeah. So there's a couple of different ways that we can do that. Way number one is we cut the cost of travel. Um, very easy to do. Uh, there are hacks, there are techniques that, I mean, like legitimately, I could fit a vacation for anybody inside just about any reasonable budget. Yeah. Don't call me and say, I want to go to Cancun for 25 bucks. <laughs> I mean, uh, my name is, you know, I, I joke, I say my name is not Juan, not Jesus. I can work mer uh, magic, not miracles. No. <laughs> um, right? Yeah. Um, so um, if you give me a budget, I can show you how to do what you want to do inside of a budget. Yeah. Um, now, uh, you can do that through the techniques, the travel hacks. You can learn how to to actually shop travel, to plan travel inside the periods of time that make it to where it's affordable for anybody. So that's one way. Yeah. Uh, a second way that you can do it, I have a great friend of mine who is, I would not say uh, he's wealthy. I would say that he's middle class. He's, he's, a, he's a great guy. He's got you know family. He's got kids. And what he does is he does medical missions to mm -hmm. travel. Yeah. And then that travel becomes a write-off for him. Um, and then what he does is he uses that medical mission to travel the world, takes his kids, does amazing stuff. Wow. Right? So there are ways that you could take your travel and turn it into a tax write-off. Um, so that helps decrease the cost or the burden of travel. Hmm. Um, there's other ways, travel blogs. You could become a digital nomad. You could actually work in the travel industry make money off the travel industry, set that money aside, and then use that money to then travel with. Yeah. And that's what I do. So the company I'm with uh, in one of my endeavors is a travel company. Everything I make from them gets put into a special account. And then I use that money in the form of rewards points to travel. Hmm. My last five have been free. 
Wow. Right. So um, in the in the age of Airbnb, Uber, and Lyft, and all these you know side hustles people got going on, mm. well, why are they doing that? Ultimately, is to pay off debt so that they can start to live the life that they want to live, the dreams that they have, which almost always include travel. Yeah. So I just said, why not work in the travel space as a side gig, potentially make it into a full time gig, which is my which is my goal, and then use that money to travel even more. So you've you've given people one reason to contact you to get the secret secret sauce, <laughs> the the one yeah, the, right. the one app that you're using that. Right. That shall not be named. So what is the, what are some other reasons someone would contact John Rankin? What are you, how are you looking to connect with people? So I have a flight alert program um, where it literally every time flights meet a certain parameter that I've given out, it will email them Mm -hmm. showing them flights to Rome for $1,200 by from February 25th to March 7th. Um, So that's another reason. Uh, I do tons of lives on my Facebook where I actually teach you how to travel, the philosophy of travel, how to get great deals, how to really kind of drive down the price of travel. Um, And I go live and I do all that stuff just to provide value to my customers, my clients, my friends, my family. um, And I don't charge nothing for it. So that would be another reason I can show you how to do all this stuff. And, and show you people that are doing that stuff because of what I've shown them. Uh, I had a girl the other night, actually. She's got uh, custody of two kids uh, that, uh, if I remember the story correctly, aren't hers. She adopted them. Um, and because of the cost and so forth, she's not been able to take a vacation with them. And I got them to the Grand Canyon for her budget on their first vacation as a family. Wow. So, um, and... You know, I don't charge everybody. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a softy at heart. So <laughs> if I hear if I hear a, a good story, oftentimes I'm like, hey, I'm just going to help you. Let me let me help you. Yeah. And uh, I can't do that for everybody, obviously, because then I wouldn't need either. But you know, there but are. But you're charging that- them, but in that in that they're saving money, so it's not sure. Of and, course. You know, and it's hard to gauge that because you know you can go online and do all the stuff and save a little bit of money, but you have these tricks and ways of finding that information quicker, and the other person yeah. doesn't have to even do anything. They can just have, yeah. So have some help. I actually. <laughs> That's actually a great point because I frame it this way too. So Emily, you want to go to Italy and you did a search and for your hotel and your flights, you're coming up with $3,000, let's say, which I would, I would immediately tell you don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a mistake. Um, I just did a cost comparison for somebody and I got them a week in Rome for two people uh, from their destination for fifteen hundred dollars. Wow, that's for both of them to fly and yep, both of them to fly in the week in Rome. Now, wow. what I would do is I would turn around and say, Emily, is that worth a hundred dollars? Yeah, it's worth a lot. Yeah, plus right. not having to go through the hassle of trying to figure that out because right, I've, I've done that. I've been doing that. <laughs> it's it's right. exhausting. It, yeah, and so again. Um, I do that to help you travel, but I've got to, you know, incentivize my time and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. really the goal there is, is to show you that there's a way to travel. And I have a couple of professionals that I work with. They're like, Hey dude, 
don't, I don't even care what I save. I will pay you just to do it for me because yeah. I don't have time. So I have that as well. Right. So, so there's people that are just going to want to learn your tips and tricks and you have your Facebook lives and things for that. And then there's yep. people that don't want to have to do anything. They just want help. Yeah. So, and I can accommodate, you know, all, all shapes, sizes, and ages. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Great. <laughs> right. Um, and, and I have a bunch of different stuff that I do. I have vacation uh, giveaways that I do. Uh, when a company gives me a vacation, I give that back to the people. Nice. Um, you know, so there's a bunch of different reasons for people to contact me about travel. So how does someone contact you? What's the quickest, best way to get a hold of John Rankin? Yeah, so um, I have an actual uh, pretty decent uh, digital footprint. So you can just go to my website, johnrankin.com, find me on Facebook, um, and I'll, I'll tell you what, anybody that reaches out to me because they listen to me on your show, uh, is going to get a complimentary stay at a resort of their choice of 16 different resorts all across the world. They just have to pay the taxes, which is about 50 bucks. All right. So how is that possible? I have to ask. Uh, how is what possible? That you're giving, website? That you're, no, that you're giving away hotel stays. How does that, how does that work? Well, here's how it works. Um, <laughs> So the hotel industry is like every other industry in the world. Um, they have fixed expenses that they have to pay whether clients are there or not. Mm. Um, specifically in the hotel and resort and cruise industry, they have to pay port fees and taxes or resort fees and taxes. Um, and what these taxes do is, uh, it's the government's chunk of their business. Yeah. And they have to pay those taxes whether you're in the room or not. So let's say the Venetian in, and I'm just using the Venetian as an example, uh, is at 40% capacity. Does it behoove the, the Venetian to offer in a closed network setting a deal where instead of $200 a night for the room, it costs $100 a night for the room? Right. Right? Yeah, of course it does. Yeah. Um, because what happens is, is then 60% of the capacity of their hotel is eating into the profit margin of the 40% of their hotel. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. So what I have is 16 resorts that I've brokered an agreement with. And these 16 resorts promise me that they won't do timeshare pitches. They won't sell the people. They just need their hotel to be at capacity. And so the way to do that is they give you the room for the cost of the taxes. Now, they can only do that in a closed setting because if Emily goes to Vegas and stays at Westgate and John Rankin goes to Westgate, John Rankin paid $200 a night for their room and uh, Emily paid $50 for three nights. What do you think happens when John Rankin finds that out? Right. Yeah. Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want a <laughs> refund, right? Yeah. So they, so they make these offers in closed settings so that they can continue to charge what their room rates are. Wow. So what is it? So what is the benefit to, I mean, I understand they're going to have their room filled, but, um, so it's just, they, they give you a certain number of rooms and you can just give those away. Yeah. So the benefit to them is, is that they're not losing the taxes on the rooms that are empty because then those taxes come out of the rooms that are full. So now they're paying double on one room and it cuts into their profit margin. Now that's awesome that you can give that away to people. Yeah. yeah, it almost sounds so, too good to be true, but from all that you've told me about yourself and what you're all about, I don't think that you would be doing something that yeah. wasn't so, legit. It's funny, 
Yeah. So it's funny. Everybody goes, that's too good to be true. <laughs> right. But if, if I told you, you know, fixed, fixed operating expenses are fixed operating expenses, right? Yeah. So let's, let's put this into the context of the restaurant business. The restaurant has a fixed operating cost, employees, electricity, you, you know, uh, telephone, utilities, all those things, rent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And if that restaurant is absolutely empty, does their fixed operating cost change? No, except for the no. food, except they don't, the food maybe. The food maybe, right? Right. And their margin on their food is their margin on their food. Right. Okay? So if I came to a restaurant and I said, hey, Bob Evans, I know that Wednesdays are traditionally absolutely empty for you. And they go, yeah, they're horrible. And I said, what would you do if I could bring 100 people into your restaurant on Wednesday morning? What do you think Bob Evans will do for me? Right. Do you think that they would give me a discount on the food? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure they would. Yeah. That's all the hotel industry is doing. It's the same thing. Wow. Because, you know, then they're showing that there's people there. So when someone comes that is legitimately, I don't say legitimately, but someone that's paying more is going to come right. in and they're not going to feel like they're <sighs> the only ones there. And why, you know, why is this place empty? <laughs> well, the, the truth is, is 50 people pay, or 100 people paying 25% less than everybody else is covering their operating expenses that are fixed. Right. Yeah. So they lose a little bit of profit but they're making it back because now they're actually covering their operating. Cause then they still have to like have the rooms cleaned and things like that. But yeah. those employees are already on staff. They're already there. So. Already there. Yeah. So they already may as well there. be doing something. <laughs> That's right. And the hotel industry is no different. So I yeah. could have a room that goes vacant and it's going to cost me money or I could cut Emily a deal get her in there so that profit margin doesn't come out yeah. of what a room that's actually full. Genius. <laughs> yep. And yeah. industries do this in every industry, every, every field. They all do it. So yeah. wow. it's not like uh, some secret crazy scheme. I mean, everybody does it. So I think the secret sauce from all of this is just open your mind and expand your thinking to if you want to do something, whether it's travel, it could be anything in life, but we're talking about travel, especially today, you can find a way. So yes. there's always a way. You just have to look believe. at things differently and believe in it. Yeah. So if you want to, if you, if you've always wanted to go someplace, I, I was at a, at a local um, building here called Village Gate and it's a, you know, an older building with a lot of shops in it and, and things. Anyway, there's a wall there and it says, it was a people's bucket list. It was like a bucket list wall where people could put up what they wanted to do. And there must've been 10 different things that people wrote Italy. And if it wasn't Italy, it was somewhere. It was something travel and all these people right. that say someday I want to do this. So why not today? Why not today? That's it. Yeah. So one of the hashtags I use all the time is dare to live, live now. Mm. I love it. Well, John, um, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? No, I just appreciate you actually, you know, reaching out to, to me and letting me be on your show. It's a great privilege. I, I've great. absolutely enjoyed our conversation. And, you know, like I said, anybody who contacts me and says they heard me on your show will get a complimentary stay. That includes you, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to try it. I'm going I'm to see what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Thanks, John, so much great. for being with us today. All right. Thank you. All I right. really appreciate it. Yeah.
Me too. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Choice Happens podcast. For more inspiration, go to choicehappens.com. Until next time, think, choose, do, be awesome.